I'd like to give you a, a warm welcome as we come to worship and praise and learn from our God, whether we're here in the chapel or whether you're joining us online. Let's commit our time to God in prayer. Father God, we ask that you would be with us as we come and worship you and praise you and be taught by you. We ask for the presence of your Holy Spirit, that he would guide us and lead us and direct us, and that we would have no distracting thoughts, but our time would be purely focused on you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the words of Moses from one of his songs in Deuteronomy, in chapter 32, he says, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. And that's the God we come and worship tonight and that's the God we come and learn about tonight. And as we sing our first hymn together, a reflection from Isaiah um, chapter 40, who has held the oceans in his hands? Who has numbered every grain of sand? Kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Well, let's rise and stand and sing praise to our God.
Our reading is taken from the 7th chapter of Micah. Micah chapter 7, it's on page 780 of our church Bibles. Sorry, thank you. I've broken it now as well, good. (laughs) Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are what is evil, to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment, has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbour, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication Then my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day for the building of your walls. In that day the boundary shall be far extended. In that day they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain but the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance who dwell in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvellous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. 
they shall lick the dust like a serpent. Like the crawling things of the earth, they shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Thank you, Paul. Well, let's turn to God in prayer. Let's, let's pray. Almighty God, as we turn to you in prayer, we consider the creation round about us. The amazingness of it. We have sung about how you have, how you can hold the sea in the palms of your hand. How you know and count every grain of sand. How you know the very number of hairs on our head. Lord, we reflect on Job and those three or four chapters of things that you know and that you do to which we as man have no idea, which show our weakness, which show our smallness in sight of you, almighty God. But as we humble ourselves before you, we are so thankful that you are a God of mercy, of graciousness, that you are a God of compassion and of steadfast love. And we submit to you. And there are many of us that can call you our Father. And we know that we can only call you our Father because of what your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, was willing to do. The way he was willing to bear the indignation. The way he humbled himself and suffered the grief from man, from his creation. Yet in obedience to you, he suffered so that we can have our sins forgiven. So that any of us who look to you and seek forgiveness and ask for forgiveness, you are willing to forgive all the wrong we have done and we can have that relationship restored with you. We can have peace with you because of what Jesus has done. And we reflect on Psalm 8 where it says, and what is man? That you are mindful of him because we look at our lives. And we were challenged this morning about the way that we don't fulfil what you want for us in our lives. And Lord, and we pray that we would turn to you, that your word would have an effect on our lives. Lord, as we, we hear John bring it to us week by week, as we read it at home in our quiet times, may it be what guides us. And we pray our prayer would be that we would love justice that we would love kindness and that we would walk humbly with you and may that be actions in our lives we pray that the Holy Spirit would ever grow within us 
And that would be evident by the fruit that he brings to bear through our lives. We thank you that you are a God of compassion, that you are a God who has told us to bring our cares and concerns to you. And Lord, there are many cares and concerns from the old, from the young. No one escapes cares and concerns in this world. Lord, we think of the people of Afghanistan. What a terrible situation that is. What a tragedy. Yet we pray that they would be looking to you. We pray for any believers who are in Afghanistan, that they would be looking to you for strength and support and comfort. Lord, it's a situation we would hate to be in, but we pray your will would be done. You are a sovereign God. Uh, May you be with them. We pray that good would come out of this situation. Lord, we think close to home and we remember the tragedy down in Plymouth. And Lord, what a simple world we live in. We pray that there would be people there who would turn to you. We pray that we would be emboldened in our witness for you in our neighbourhood around here as we see what the state of sin does to people's lives, yet what good news we have. Lord, may our lives proclaim love. We pray that we'll be able to talk about Jesus. And there's that place one day where there will be no sin, where there will be no crying, because you are there. And we look forward to that day where we will be with you, which is far better. And we pray that 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 we would have that hope and we would be fixed on that hope as we live our life here on this earth. We commit to you, Jackie, at this moment. We pray that you would uphold her as she's there in hospital with Amber May. Lord, often in hospital things go one step forward and two steps back and we pray for her as Amber May seems to be struggling at the moment. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen her. We pray that you would give the doctors the wisdom and the guidance of what to do with Amber May. But we pray you would comfort Jackie and uphold her and strengthen her. Lord God, we thank you for the camp that's uh, just happened and for the YPs that happened a couple of weeks ago. We pray for those who heard your word on those weeks. We pray that the devil has not snatched away any that's been sown in their hearts. And we pray that what has been sown, as John prayed this morning, would be rooted into their hearts and will bring forth fruit for your honour and for your glory. And we pray that up and down this land, as your word is spoken from today, as your word is exhorted and preached, Lord, we commit our pastor to you. Lord, we pray for him and Esther and the family as they they go on holiday. We pray that it would be a time of refreshment, physically, mentally and spiritually. We pray that you would feed him while he's away. Uh, Lord God, and in blessing him, we pray that you would bless us. And as we continue in your service, we pray for John as he brings your word to us. We ask that the Spirit would take what he's prepared and Lord would lift us to worship and praise you more 
as we see what a great God you are. If there are any here who do not know you, if there are any here who have not had their sins forgiven, as they haven't come to you and asked for it, may they tonight see what a God of love you are and that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts and you want us to return to you and ask for forgiveness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before John comes and brings God's word to us, let's stand uh, with our second song, which links in with Micah 7 and verse 18. Great God of wonders, all thy ways are matchless, godlike and divine, but the fair glories of thy grace more godlike and unrivaled shine. Let's stand as we worship God.
Well, I think a line of stars must mean Amen. We go from that uh, rich uh, hymn to the words on which it's based. We're in Micah chapter 7, page 779, 780, something like that, in the Church Bibles. Be good to have them uh, open in front of you, although they will be on display. And maybe you're thirsty for these verses after this morning. Maybe you're just desperate to hear about forgiveness. Maybe you just love being reminded of what God has done for you and you just sort of almost wallow in reminders from God's word of his forgiving love. What a way this book ends. We have cycles of uh, um, judgment and salvation, of condemnation and hope but this third block this final block ends on a a a grand note really it describes wonderfully things which then are seen in even um, more beautiful colours in the New Testament when we understand more of why Micah could go on to these words We're on to two verses this evening. We're going to have them up in front of us, highlight different parts of them. These are the verses at the outset. Drink them in. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Well, I originally wanted to speak on this at the communion service last week, but as I was preparing, I realised there was too much for a communion service and uh, it was well attended, I was thankful for that, but I also thought I want more people to hear of this than a midweek meeting. And so here we are, Sunday evening, more people here, an opportunity to go over with a little bit more time, these grand verses. <clears throat> I've called it pictures of forgiveness because the words used in these verses um, suggest pictures. Uh, there are four pictures I would suggest in these verses. Um, I've always been drawn to the last. You may well be drawn to the last of these pictures. In many ways it's the most vivid. But uh, as I read uh, Micah quite recently in in my private reading, uh, I realised for the first time that there were more than just that one picture. I first thought there's three pictures, but as I've looked into it more, there's at least four pictures here of forgiveness. And it's not just the pictures as well. Some of the things said before and intertwined with it and the way in which they direct us to the character of God are are wonderful. Well, before we go on to before we go on to the pictures, let's first see the way it's introduced. Who is a God like you? Who is a God like you? Phrases like that point to our incomparable God. That God is in a league of his own. 
that there is no one like him. They are words of worship. They are words of wonder. Who is, who is a God like you? You have it elsewhere. We uh, began the service Uh, on a song based on Isaiah 40 and you have it there in terms of God's greatness. Isaiah 40 verse 25 To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these things, who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God is incomparable. It comes up in Exodus 15. There'll be a a sniff of Exodus about this evening. Exodus 15 in terms of his holiness. Verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And we have it here in terms of God's grace, and pardon. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity? The conclusion of Micah is actually a play on his name. Micah means, in Hebrew, who is like Yahweh? And that is the climax of his book, who is like Yahweh? And he gets there in a spirit of worship, really, almost using his own name or something similar. Who is a God like you? Micah would lead us to that sense of worship. This is the climax of the book, despite the situation, despite how miserable and sad. You had the reading of chapter 7, even at the start of chapter 7, you realise how sad and gloomy, how wrong, how, how wild the situation had been, and yet the book can end with a climax like these verses. Because of our God, who is a God like you. We sang something similar, didn't we, in our second song. Who is a pardoning God like thee, or who has grace so rich and free? Well, we have five senses, and uh, as we go through this evening, we'll have some different sort of outcomes in terms of senses, actually. And the first, just in the introduction, is a, a sense of wonder and worship a sense of wonder and worship. Who is a God like you? Well, that leads us neatly on to our first picture. I'm going to highlight the words as we go through the pictures. Number one, the first picture is actually in these words, pardoning iniquity. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity. Well, we know what the word pardon means in English. We, we think of being let off. We tend to use it in small social situations. Uh, pardon me for pushing in. Uh, pardon me for bumping into you. We realise that it has a, a bigger sense in terms of crimes, perhaps against the nation, uh, and a pardon being given so that somebody is, is let off. Uh, let out of jail, escape, no guilt attached to them. You think of America and the fact that the presidents can issue a presidential pardon so that somebody is let off. Perhaps that's getting a bit closer to what we have here. 
But the Hebrew word here actually means to lift off, to carry away, lift off, carry away. That's the picture, lift off, carry away. So you picture somebody carrying an unbearable burden on their back, feeling almost crushed to the ground. They can't function anymore. They think it's going to be the end of them and then the burden is lifted and carried off elsewhere. It made me think of the, the I don't know if you've seen the, the film or the musical of Les Miserables and the man who's caught under a, a cart and the, the cart is on top of him and then the, the hero or the repentant hero of the story, Jean Valjean, lifts up the beam and gets the cart off of this man who is struggling under the weight of the cart which is on top of him. And that is what God does. He pardons, he lifts off the burden of iniquity. The word is also used in the Bible in terms of the scapegoat. If you've come across the scapegoat, it's in Leviticus 17, uh, when the, the, the nation was seeking to deal with its guilt, it did so in two ways in that important chapter. And one of the ways was for the priest to have put his hands on one of the goats called the scapegoat, as if he was laying on the scapegoat, the sins, and the, the scapegoat was sent off outside the city into the, into the wilderness, to the rough terrain, off never to be seen again. And it was a picture of sins being taken away. They were lifted off of the people, they were carried away out of the city, away so that they didn't see them anymore. And that is what God does. He lifts the burden of sin and guilt. He pardons iniquity. This word, iniquity, uh, I heard it described, I thought it was quite a helpful way that it's... Uh, if you like, it's, it's wrung rather than just wrong. You know, if you wring something, it's all twisted. You're wringing a flannel out or something else. Have to get, you wring it, it's all contorted and twisted. And that's really what iniquities are. They're, they're, they're wrung wrongs. They're, they're twisted. They're when you do things and you think, how did I do that? That was just so wrong. That's so twisted. How on earth could that cross my mind? How could those words come out of my mouth? And, and these wrung wrongs. God lifts the burden, takes them away. How does he do that? How does he do that? Because his son has taken the burden instead. I said this morning that, uh, if you like, Micah was junior or mini Isaiah. Well, Isaiah has something to say on this. Isaiah 53, beginning of verse 4, pointing forward to Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Peter picks up the same thing in his letter, 1 Peter 2 verse 24, talking of Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And he does that for people who come seeking mercy, placing their trust in Jesus. The burden, the burden you're feeling can be lifted, can be taken away. It can be fully and freely lifted and taken away. 
Isaiah, again, 55 verse 6 and 7, tells us of this pardon. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Lift off. Carry away. First picture. Where does it leave us? Sense of wonder and worship. And after this first pardoning iniquity, a sense of relief. A sense of relief. Gone your sin, the guilt of it taken away. Every part of it. What an amazing thing that God does through his son, Jesus Christ, for those who put their trust in him. We come to our second picture. We move on just a little bit. Passing over. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. Passing over. Means to pass over, means to cross over, means to go beyond. You might think, when you think of the things that you've done wrong, and maybe confronted with it again this morning, you know, think of this pea shooter moment of, of, of feeling caught red-handed and you see the immensity of the things you've done wrong, you might think that causes a dead end as far as you and God go. You might think that just, just finishes off any sense of relationship between you and God. It sort of snuffs out any hope you have. It's a roadblock in the way. It's a, I'd say, Grand Canyon. I don't mean the Grand Canyon. It's a big canyon over which there's just too big a gap. It's the finish of things because of what you've done. And it's understandable that we think that way because our sin is repulsive to God. It's obnoxious to God. It's serious business. But yet we read here of God passing over transgression. That the hurdle is jumped. The canyon is bridged. The roadblock is cleared. The roadblock of all the debris of your unfairness and your unkindness and my unfairness, my unkindness and neglect of God seems such a massive barrier, seems such a hopeless situation and yet there's life beyond It talks of God passing over it, getting past it, things carrying on despite what we've done. The very word reminds me, perhaps reminds you of the Passover in Exodus chapter 12 when the judgment came over the land of Egypt, uh, when the angel of death came through and there was to be destruction in so many of the houses. There were some houses that were passed over. They were exempt, they were missed, it went beyond. There was no stopping there to judge and punish and extinguish. And God gets to the other side of our sin, if you like. The track continues. There is life beyond the things that you've done. Does he do this for all? 
Dale Ralph Davis puts as a turn of phrase, it's not for every card-carrying Israelite. You see it says, for the remnant of his inheritance. It's for those group of, that group of people who've been brought to repentance and faith and trust. And the things I'm saying this evening about pictures of forgiveness, they are for those who have come to the point of turning to God, putting their trust in Jesus, those who've repented and believed. The Passover was for those who trusted in God's provision. Uh, The lamb was sacrificed. You remember the blood was put on the the lentils, the doorposts around and, and when the angel of death came through and saw the blood, they passed over. Those who put their trust in God's provision of a way of salvation, It was passed over them. Those today who put their trust in God's provision, uh, the Lamb of God we were hearing of this morning, who takes away the sin of the world, if your trust is in him, then there is a passing over of your guilt. You think of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you. Neither, what words, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. His son's blood has paid the price. Jesus has taken the condemnation. You feel there's no future? You feel you've been too bad? Go to the God who passes over transgression. Transgression is rebellion. There are times when you, you, you did wrong and you knew you were doing wrong. And yet, God is so gracious-hearted enough to pass over those for those who turn and repent and put trust in his Son. And the explanation that follows, so we're a little bit of a break, commercial break in a way between the pictures as we, before we go on to the next one, uh, but it gives further explanation of, of God's character Uh, which explains this and which is wonderful. For the remnant of his inheritance, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. It's worth thinking about. He delights in mercy, it says in some of the versions. Delights in mercy. We're We're getting a peep into the character of God here. We're getting a... We're getting a periscope, if you like, into the heart of God. And what does it say he delights in? This is good news. He delights in in mercy. You do something for someone and and, uh, they're grateful and you say, my pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure. I really enjoyed doing that. I wanted to do that. It's my pleasure, don't worry, my pleasure. And it's as if when God forgives, it's as if he's saying, my pleasure, my pleasure. He delights in steadfast love. He delights in mercy. Can you believe that? Can you take that in? Delights. You may have heard this, and uh, these are massive things that we can't properly get our, our, our mind round but there's biblical truth in this that uh, judgment, if you like it, the right thing 
And God does it because of his purity and justice and holiness. But there is a sense in which uh, justice is a strange work to God. You get that in, in Isaiah uh, 28 and verse 21. For the Lord will rise up as on Mount Parazim, as in the valley of Gibeon, he will be roused to do his deed. Strange is his deed, and to work his work, alien is his work. Sense in which justice, right, glorifying, pure, but it's a sense in which it's a strange thing for God. Whereas here, showing mercy and steadfast love is his delight. A sense in which it it's naturally embedded. It goes with the grain. You know, we have to be careful in how we put these things. We're, we're sort of we're going where angels fear to tread, aren't we, when we start to think some of these things through. We have to be careful with our words. I, I don't know whether this is an illustration's fail. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of it. Um, you take somebody who's into gardening and landscape gardening and and as part of that they might do weeding and it's necessary, it's right and it's essential for the garden to look good. But another part of their work is landscape gardening or planting new plants and you can imagine the garden saying, oh, that is, I find that especially satisfying, that was where my heart is. And there is a sense in which that is true of the character of God, there's a special delight in steadfast love, faithful love, unfailing love, mercy, compassion. I think you can prove that biblically. I came across this, uh, Dale Ralph Davis, as you know, I find uh, really useful in the things he says. Very, very, very well read biblically, very able to express it helpfully. He quotes something in relation to this. The authorised King James Version renders the last line of verse 18 as he delighteth in mercy. It was in this form that the text proved a shaft of comfort to John Carment. Dr Carment was a highly esteemed member of the Edinburgh legal profession. One day his pastor, Alexander White, had to consult Carment on a business matter. With the business completed, the old lawyer, for he was above 80 years old, swept the papers and writing materials to the side and looking straight across, cleared his desk and said with deep earnestness, have ye any word for an old sinner? Dr White was uh, somewhat taken aback by the sudden question, not least because he esteemed Carment as a saint poised for glory. He drew a momentary blank But then words came to him which he had given to various ones he had visited that very afternoon. So he stammered out, he delighteth in mercy and left. Next morning White received a letter from Dr Carmen which told how he had been passing through a season of deep inward darkness but that the four words left with him by his friend had sent a flood of light into his soul. It banished the darkness for good until a few days he got his glimpse of perfect day. Well, maybe those four words might be a shaft of light to some old sinner 
this evening or some young sinner this evening. He delights in mercy. Perhaps you've never properly grasped this aspect of God. Your view of God have been a little bit warped and you haven't properly understood his delight in mercy. Then drink on those words. Uh, take them as a, uh, um, a boiled sweet which you suck on. He delights in mercy. Let it be a shaft of encouragement to you in your situation, perhaps in your darkness. Sense of wonder in the first part. Sense of relief. Here a sense of the future. Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression. Well, verse 19 then carries on and takes us to another picture. He will again have compassion on us and he will tread our iniquities underfoot. Uh, this is the, the thing that caught me, I think, which I hadn't noticed before, made me realise there was more than one picture I don't know if you've thought about this. Tread our iniquities underfoot. Uh, the idea really is that our iniquities, the things we've done that are wrong, are a threat. They could hurt us, they could damage us, they could destroy us, they could kill us. And we're not happy all the while they're around. We can't rest with the threat of our iniquities and our guilt. You imagine you're in a village in hotter climes than this and uh, a man-eating lion or a bear has come close to the village that you're staying in and you're very unsettled. You feel vulnerable, you can't sleep, you're all twitchy because there's a threat around you and you know how dangerous that threat is. And then you hear some shouts, maybe some applause in the village. And the, the animal's been shot. It's dead. Can't move. Maybe you feel slightly sorry for the animal, but your overwhelming sense of, at last, I don't need to be looking over my shoulder, at last the tension and the stress is gone from the village. Perhaps somebody stands over it. Perhaps somebody steps on it. It doesn't respond. It doesn't move. It doesn't growl. It doesn't grab them. It's finished. It's underfoot. It's defeated. And so it is with our sins according to this. God is able to tread our iniquities underfoot. The, the menace, the danger, the threat... The judgment that they bring is dealt with, it's diffused, it's underfoot, it's no longer up alongside us, threatening to us. Christ's death and his resurrection have done that. 1 Corinthians 15, let me read some verses from this glorious chapter 
I'll start off partway through verse 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of a chapter which begins by talking of Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So God is able to tread our iniquities under foot, to disarm them, to take out the sting so that they're no longer a threat. And if your trust is in Christ and if you've gone back to him in confession and if you've turned in in repentance, then that is true for you. If you do that, it will be true for you. You're encouraged to come to a God who can tread your guilt under foot and then you can rest and the danger is over and sin has been disarmed. Uh, When the the news about the awfully sad Plymouth shootings came out, uh, I noticed there was a, a tweet from local MP and it referred to uh, the fact that he, the, the, the person concerned is not on the run. So it was immediately reassuring people in the locality, don't worry, he's not still around, he's not still opening fire. You can rest, the threat is taken away. And so when you think of this aspect, this third picture, there's a sense of settledness, dealt with, done, underfoot, no longer harming, Safe, settledness, rest, peace. They're wonderful pictures, aren't they? We come to the last, and perhaps the best. Best known, anyway. It's at the bottom there. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. There's a a stronger sense of relationship, I think, about this. the, The wording changes a bit, he's talked about God in the, the third person, he will again have compassion, he will, and then it becomes more close, more intimate, more relational, you will, you will, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. I've been reading a, a book uh, uh, about the Enigma Codes, you may or may not know about these, um, these were the the, the German codes used in the Second World War to instruct their different naval, air force, army and that of what was happening and where it should go. It was their communication. It was very sophisticated codes. And uh, uh, one aspect of the Allied forces' attempt to, to try and gain some initiative was to, to intercept and to read these codes, to understand them. It's a, a big job. You've heard perhaps of uh, Fletchley Park and Alan Turing. This was all tied in with understanding these codes. And one of the things they needed was to have some fresh information because the codes and the tables, I get a bit lost in the detail even though I've read a lot about it, uh, they they kept changing and so a new month starts and there's slightly varied codes and they need to try and get some information to Bletchley Park to understand what's happening and to interpret them. And one of the most exciting things in this book is the the capture of um, German U-boats, submarines for us, German U-boats. Because when they caught uh, a ship 
or a, a U-boat, um, inside there would be fresh up-to-date tables, information, sometimes machinery as well, cogs or the equivalent, and if they could get those and send them off to Bletchley Park, that would really enhance being able to interpret these things and would spare some of the convoys of ships coming over from the Atlantic from being shot at by the um, German submarines. Well, it was exciting stuff. So what do the Germans do if the, the German submarines get caught, as some of the U-boats did, what, what did they want to do? Well, one of the things they wanted to do is to run up the, the conning tower to get out on top of the U-boat and to have these papers and cogs or whatever in her and throw them over the side before they get caught or shot because then the new codes was gone. And you know, the moment, the moment it was thrown over the side, that's it. You know, they didn't get those. They had to somehow make sure that they stopped the Germans from getting out. They went inside and the captain's office and got all the stuff out the drawers. Then they were run. But the moment the, the Germans had got on top and just thrown it, it was deep. Of course it was a deep ocean. You don't have submarines in the shallows, do you? It was a deep ocean, just gone, sunk. They didn't send a diver down to look for it. It was just too late in the depths of the sea. No longer retrievable. Out of sight could not be used. And that is the picture here of what God does to the sins of those who put their trust in him. You will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. A bit like the Egyptians when the Red Sea was crossed and God says, you will, you will never see them again and the Egyptians end up at the the bottom of the sea, out of sight. You won't see them again, it says Exodus 14 and verse 13. I remember hearing of a a lady who had been very badly treated. Um, There was no guilt on her part, but she felt the the, the taint of it. and in those trying to help this lady, nothing to do with anyone here, but to help this lady, um, she was asked to write out all the different aspects of what she felt so tainted by and, and she was actually told to go out into the sea and to rip it all up and to throw it into the sea and, and it seemed to be of help to her. It was gone, it was dispersed, it was dealt with. Well, that's what God does for you and your real guilt if you turn and put your trust in him. It's dispersed, it's gone. Acts 3 and verse 19 says this, encourages you to come to the Lord in sorrow and repentance. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Jeremiah says, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. To the depths of the sea. I remember a a couple of holidays ago, uh, we were boating on a little lagoon lake as part of the holiday camp, but it had an outlet to the sea. It wasn't very deep, only three or four metres. I can't remember quite the ins and outs of it, but a camera got dropped and dropped down to the bottom and... um, 
only three or four metres down. Uh, we could go down there, we couldn't see it, we couldn't find it. Prayed over it and wanted to get it back. It was a, quite a nice camera. Uh, amazed, seemed to be an answer to prayer to us. The next day, we were just in the air and there was a, a diver and the diver went down in the exact spot and came up, camera in hand. It was found. We were amazed at that. That was a lagoon. That was three or four metres. You're talking about the depths of the sea here. You're talking about going to the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. You're talking about something heavy and dropping it hundreds of metres down without trace. Gone. Your sins, iniquities. And see what it says. He, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. The whole lot. If you like, one translation has it, you heave the, the tonnage overboard because this isn't just a few code tables of what we've done wrong. This is a containers full of the things that we've done wrong and they're plummeted over the side. They're, they're not in the shallows. They're not in a lagoon. They're not in a riverbed. They're in the depths of the sea. They're gone for good. They'll never be held against you. That's where your sins go if you put your trust in Jesus. Lovely picture, isn't it? You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And what do, what do you have a sense of with that? I think you have a sense of the finality of it. You have a sense of the finality. It is gone for good. The guilt is gone for good. So, grand verses, aren't they? Grand verses for me to preach before I go on holiday to bring to your attention we like pictures I mean, sometimes perhaps you have a book and you, you don't read much so I'm just looking at the pictures well we've looked at some pictures this evening four pictures of forgiveness they give a sense of wonder they give a sense of relief they give a sense of selfless they give a sense of future. They give a sense of finality. Drink them in and praise the God who is an incomparably gracious God who pardons iniquities, passes over sin, treads our iniquities underfoot and casts all our sins into the depths of the sea. Give a few moments for us to respond in private worship before we sing. Well, we come to our last song. You'll see from the first verse how this links in. Reminds us of God's mercy. What love could remember, no wrongs we have done, omniscient or knowing, he counts not their sum, thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Let's stand to sing this last song.
Lord, we are filled with wonder, uh, relief, thankfulness, uh, settledness. What an incomparably gracious God you are. We thank you to read of, of your pardon and the illustrations of it in these words. We pray it will draw us to you for the first time if we have never been. And we pray for others of us that we will just wallow in the wonderful gospel truths that we've seen pointed at in this book of Micah. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.